Welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. I'm glad to welcome onto the show today, Ned Bustard. We talked about his latest uh, children's book for IVP called St. Patrick the Forgiver. It's an awesome book in a series that he's doing, looking at different figures from history that we celebrate today, but we often don't really know about their real lives. It's filled with his own original hand-drawn illustrations, and I'm a big fan of it, and so is my family. In this conversation, we talked about the real story of St. Patrick, uh, his life, what he did as a missionary in Ireland, and also what we can learn about his story and apply it to our lives today, as well as how learning about his real story can affect the way that we celebrate St. Patrick's Day today. Ned Bastard is a graphic designer, a children's book illustrator, an author, and printmaker. As the creative director for Square Halo Books and curator of the Square Halo Gallery, Ned has lectured at colleges, schools, churches, and conferences. His work is found in numerous titles, including St. Nicholas the Gift Giver, The O in Hope, Revealed, a storybook Bible for grown-ups, and Every Moment Holy. He lives with his family in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Before we get into this conversation, let me encourage you to subscribe to Filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. Also, click on the link to the show notes below and you can subscribe to our email list so that you can get an email in your inbox every time a new episode drops with one of our great guests. Lastly, if you're helped by this episode or any of our other episodes here on Filter, let me please encourage you to uh, leave Filter a rating and review wherever you get your podcast and also share this show with your friends. Leave Filter a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcast, and also leave Filter a review on Apple Podcast. Where you take these simple steps, it'll only take a minute of your time, but it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this great conversation that I got to have with Ned Bustard. Ned, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on. Uh, I've enjoyed making a little bit of small talk and getting to know you. And uh, as I was telling you before, I've enjoyed your books. So I've been looking forward to getting to talk to you today. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and how you got to where you are now, uh, authoring and publishing these great uh, children's books. Yeah, the second part of the question, I have no idea. That, that's the fun part. Like people come up to me and say, so I want to get into doing kids books. How, what do you recommend? And I'm like, I don't know, work of God, uh, miracles. Those, those are all very effective ways to, to uh-huh. do this. Um, I, my day job is a, I'm a graphic designer. I do uh, logos and books and I've done a lot with uh, the homeschool market. And I've got a book publishing company. So I'm, I'm doing a lot with print. I love I love books. Um, as a child, I watched the movie Fahrenheit 451, and it ingrained in me the fact that I need to preserve books for uh, at all costs. Uh, so that that's what I do. Um, uh, and each day is different with with my work, um, and I enjoy that. Uh, the The kids books thing uh, is a relatively recent development in my career. I um, like I said, I've done a lot of work with homeschool, the homeschool market, and really enjoy that. Uh, several years ago, I did some books for Crossway, 
and they're, they've got a church history ABCs and, and a couple other books I did. But the, uh, the recent books, the, uh, the St. Nicholas that you know of and, and the, the uh, St. Patrick we're talking about today are from InterVarsity Press, and that's a new thing. And that, that really is an amazing event in my life because uh, it all started with my wife and I coming across a poem by Lucy Shaw, who were a big fan of her poetry, and uh, found one of her poems. We were reading it and said, this should be a kid's book. And I, ne- I tell people, never you never do pro bono work or spec work. That's a bad thing. But that's what I did. I, I illustrated an entire book based on Lucy's poem, sent it to her, said, you know, I think this would be great. And she uh, had friends at university, sent it over to them just to say, oh, isn't this neat? Someone did something with with one of my poems in this way. And they said, well, you don't know this, but we're actually starting a kid's line. And would we, can we use this book for our kid's line of books? So uh, the Owen Hope was how that happened. So yeah, can can that be replicated? No. Uh, So if if you're listening in saying, oh, how can I get into doing kids books? This, this uh, podcast will be of no help to you. (laughs) So sorry to anyone who was hoping to get that from this episode. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, wow, that's really cool because I was wondering like what gave you the idea to start doing this series, and it seems as though it's something that just came from spur of the moment inspiration, a sort of creative outlet, and then God's blessed it, and now He's turning it into a, a whole series. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's kind of the, the well the second part of this story was after they they said they wanted to do the Lucy Shaw book. I said, well, you know, I've been working on this other book for about 20 years, and that was the St. Nicholas book. I had started it, um, well, over 20 years ago now because my daughter's getting uh, pushing 30. So I wrote it for her and because I wanted to have my kids have a book that uh, conveyed the, the magic and fun and, and mystery of Christmas and Santa Claus, but also focusing on Christ and not losing that. And that's a hard... It's a hard sell. There aren't a lot of books out there that do both of those things. You either get magic or you get uh, the mystery of the incarnation, but never both. And so I pitched uh, uh, InterVarsity on that idea, and that's how this series started. Uh, it's kind of funny. I After we did that book, and I was like, oh, this is great. I s- sent some other ideas their way, and they're like, yeah, we don't like any of these ideas, but we do like the same St. Nicholas, what do you think about St. Patrick? And I said, absolutely. I like St. Patrick even more than St. Nicholas. So uh, I was I was happy to to pursue this idea with them. Yeah, I have the St. Nicholas book, and uh, it's called St. Nicholas, the Gift Giver. And I'll link that in the show notes for anyone who's interested. And uh, I've had that one, and we, at Christmas time, we, we keep it with our Christmas decorations. And so at Christmas time, and for us, we start putting up our decorations right after Halloween. We are, yep. we are very early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're very early. We love Christmas. Um, I'm a huge Christmas person, and I, I love all of it. The decorations, the food, the music, the traditions, everything. And so uh, <laughs> and thankfully, my family does as well. So well, we start I'm glad right that I can be part Halloween. of that big, big, uh, big production. Yeah, well, your book is. It is a part of it now. It, we keep it with our decorations, and we take it out at the same time that we start putting up the tree and everything else, and we keep it out there, and um, we have a few other books as well. 
And uh, but that's one of but the those books are leftovers from before. Now that you have the Saint Nicholas, you this can get rid of those other books. Yeah, this was yeah. the prime. This is the primary. Uh, <laughs> but and it's one of the ones that we we really do. We uh, we re- regularly uh, read out with the kids a couple times over the course of the uh, Christmas time Advent season, and the kids love it, and I love it. I've recommended it to so many people because, and I've got to say, like you you really do strike that balance so well. The way that it tells the story. Um, on a kid's level, but tells the story of the real St. Nicholas so well. Um, and then just, uh, I mean, the transition from the history into the myth uh, is just, it's seamless and it's so cool. And the first time I read it, I was so impressed and I knew, okay, this is one that we're going to come back to again and again. Oh, that's so, great. Well, not yeah, everyone feels that way. Some, you if, if you look at the reviews online, some people are really upset because, you know, it's because I'm doing both and they get really, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, crotchety about it. Yeah. yeah. The, the fact that you like that book so much, I feel like I need to walk you through each of the illustrations because a lot of the illustrations have like little Easter eggs. Of course, uh-huh. it's Christmas. So I, I, Christmas eggs, Christmas little <laughs> surprises that are in each illustration because there is so much that you could talk about that I couldn't get all into the story. I would put little things in in there so that if you know the real story of Nicholas, you you can say, oh, yeah, there there's that thing that, that he worked in but didn't talk about. Yeah. Well, like I said before uh, we started recording, we could certainly do another episode on the St. Nicholas story later this year, and we could go through some of those. But I did want to talk to you about uh, just the illustration design because both of these books, uh, and you guys who are listening, go check these out later. Uh, and you'll get to see both the books have a really distinctive and unique uh, look and style to them. And so tell us about that part of uh, both of the books, the St. Nicholas and St. Patrick, uh, how the illustrations um, came about and what went into that. Yeah, the, the illustrations are all uh, lino cut prints. Uh, folks, when they see them, will often say, oh, that's a woodcut, which is functionally the same thing. It's the same technology. Uh but instead of carving into wood, which is really hard, uh, I carve into linoleum, which is a lot lot easier to carve. And um, so it's it's if you can picture a woodcut, that's what it is. I've carved uh, into this this material everything I wanted to be white. I carve out everything I leave is black, and I take my brayer and I put ink on it, put paper down, and the the image is then pulled off. Uh, it's in the reverse. And so if I ever have uh, words on a picture, I have to do them backwards. And then uh, I scan that into the computer and then I add color. Uh, you can not you can do multiple colors with uh, printmaking. Obviously, people have done it. But I like to, there's, you know, the computer affords me a lot of freedoms that you know, with uh, color. So I can, mm-hmm. I can really make the, the colors vibrant and they transfer well. Uh, so it's it's a it's a combination of that, but I really like the um, the tech the you know the technology the the look of the printmaking because it gives it a very hand because it is handmade very handmade yeah. uh, uh, rooted kind of authentic feel. I love uh, everything King Arthur and Middle Ages and and such like that. So I love old Bibles and and. I, I just love that that look. Uh, in fact, when I was working on the St. Nicholas book we were talking about, I hadn't learned how to do printmaking yet, but I loved the look of printmaking. So I drew illustrations 
that mimicked the style of, of woodcuts. And eventually I was able to catch up to, to my initial vision. And uh, so both of them have that, that, uh, that look. And, yeah. and, and you look at the books. I was looking at them last night. I'm um, actually having an art show uh, tomorrow night with, with the, the St. Patrick stuff in my gallery. And I was looking and I realized I, the, when you look at the illustrations in the book, they're, they're almost 100%. Uh, so I'm working almost at that size. I think I blow them up a little bit, but you're mm. you're really getting um, almost a one to one. Like this is this is real tactile. You see the some of the mistakes. You see the grittiness of the material coming through, all to give that authentic feel. That you know, so often a lot of the new illustrations folks are doing on their iPads and and uh, it, things have a very slick. Um, computer-generated feel, and I, I mm-hmm. wanted to do the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, obviously our words convey messages, and that, that's the primary way we communicate is through our words, but we can also convey messages uh, and, and meaning through art and aesthetics. And so other than just appreciating, having a, a prior appreciation for this kind of older art form, why did you think that this art form would really go well with what you're communicating in these, in these books. In other words, where are you communicating through this distinctive art uh, style? Yeah. Well, if you look at the, the Lucy Shaw book I rep, uh, mentioned earlier, uh, that is all cut paper. And that was, um, it has a completely different aesthetic because the poem kind of dictated that, that I actually um, initially started to illustrate that book in a style that's more akin to what I have here. But I found that it was the, the harsh edges and um, the grittiness of the printmaking didn't really serve the story well. Uh, but with these, because they're, they're old saints and it's, it's church history, it's, it's historic, it's, it's, it's uh, old, the, the uh, printmaking really, really serves the story. It, it, it communicates the 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 context even though both saints live hundreds of years apart we as as uh modern readers look back and and can i think it it helps helps give us gives us context visual context for what we're what we're reading mm-hmm. um and also just i think that there's um the the earthiness of it i think is really helpful um maybe not so much with Patrick, but like Nicholas, because it, of Santa Claus, it's easy for us to, to, to disconnect ourselves from those, from those, uh, people. I mean, they're, they're real people. They're not like figments yeah. of our imagination. Um, I mean, Santa Claus might be, but like St. Nicholas is St. Nicholas. He's a real guy who served Jesus and, uh, lived a long time ago. And same with St. Patrick. Um, these are, these are our forefathers in the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree that uh, these particular aesthetics that you're using provide just more authenticity and realness. You know, the the um, the fact that there is handwork, like real handwork, done in these, uh, even through the scanning and coloring process, and then being printed on page, it comes through. And so adding that realness does help to communicate the, the, the message of uh, both the St. Nicholas and St. Patrick books that, hey, these are real people. 
mm-hmm. that they're not just they weren't made up for just uh, an American holiday and uh, and so on. But they, yeah, they were actually based on real people. And uh, and you tell us the story uh, behind what has become the myth now. Uh, and then it, it makes you appreciate even the celebrations and holidays we have now even more. But you mentioned before that. So the St. Nick book came first. And um, like I said, I'd love to do a future episode on that story. Uh, but then you got to do the St. Patrick book next. And you said before that you were even more excited to do that one. So why St. Patrick? What, what drew you and made you excited to get to do this book? Uh, well, I'm, I'm third generation Irish. I, uh, my family comes from Donegal on the northwest coast of Ireland. When I was a teenager, my dad had us uh, go over and visit. I sat uh, in the field of the Bustards, the Bustard Farm, and uh, got to see the little shed where my great grandfather was born and hmm. talked to the cows and <laughs> that are on the Bustard <laughs> Farm. Uh, so for me, Ireland is its very much of who I am. Being Irish is uh, uh, very much my identity. Growing up, we would celebrate uh, St. Patrick's Day, I think, with a little bit more zeal than other folks. I, I was always uh, <laughs> very very uh, hardcore about how much green I wore on St. Patrick's Day. Um, my Irish uh, grandmother would make soda bread for us and had this nice old Irish uh, or cast metal pot. But, it, you know, you had the, it was all the real thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then in uh, college, I went to a uh, did a short-term submissions trip in Dublin, Ireland. It was actually, uh, they had English as second language classes and folks would come over from Europe and uh, to learn English. And that was when I, I spent time there doing that and discovered the Book of Kells. And then it wasn't just the Irish heritage that I had, but now there was a visual element to it that the, the Celtic knot work and um, just the, uh, the, the way that they drew their figures and all these things combined in me to just get me very, very excited about being Irish. And that, that really informed all of my art making from then on that, uh, I don't put Celtic knots in everything, but that there is this, there is this old, I like the oldness of it. I liked the rootedness of it. I liked that this was my visual language. Uh, I'm a big fan of German expressionist uh, printmakers, and uh, they do what they do, or they did what they did, because they said printmaking is part of our visual heritage. They they had these these old German Bibles, and they said, that's what, we want to go back to that. Now, they didn't go back to looking like the artwork from the Middle Ages, but they said, this is who we are. I'm going to invest in my visual heritage. And I think that that's what I do with my artwork is I'm investing in who I am as a person that this is this is my visual language. I don't mm-hmm. I really love uh, <clears throat> there's an artist named Sadao Watanabe, who uh, a Japanese artist that I love his work. 
and actually have ripped off several several things of his. Um, he died in 1995, I think, so he can't follow me. But there, you know, there's things that I I do lift from him because we draw from all these different elements when we're making our art. But yeah. for me, I'm like, okay, I can't really do Japanese art. That's really not my. It's not my people. Uh, I love it. I can I can lift elements, but this Irish artwork, it's who I am, and I I feel like that is something I can really uh, dig down deep and uh, draw from. And yeah. it, it's a it's a very generative well, not digging wells. Yeah, I can mix those metaphors. That, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of personal meaning for you there, and, uh, and particularly with the, the heritage and, and the artwork. You know, I think that a lot of people don't know anything more about St. Patrick beyond just shamrocks and pots of gold and green right. beer. Uh, so tell us about the story of the real St. Patrick. This was a real guy. When did he live? And what did he do that made him such a, ma- a massive figure in history that we still know his name today? Yeah, that's one of the things I, I try. <laughs> I've been posting on Instagram or uh, pictures of Irish decor or uh, St. Patrick's Day decorations and then putting it next to my book and saying, these don't line up. Like, uh, there's no leprechauns in my book. There's no pots of gold. There's no rainbows. Um, there's no pukas. There's no selkies. There's all the Irish stuff and, and it's just not there because what I'm looking at is a, is a figure who, uh, well, for one thing, he wasn't Irish, which is that causes some people surprise. He was uh, mm-hmm. he grew up in uh, England, Britannia at the time, of course, and he was the the son of um, a sextant. His father was a his grandfather was a priest, and uh, so he would have been kind of uh, maybe upper middle class, uh, maybe ruling class there in the in the Roman culture. And um, when he was around 15, he was he was stolen by uh, Vikings. They came down and, uh, and took him off and then was taken to Ireland and, and made a slave in Ireland. Uh, he was he was uh, made to take care of sheep and uh, and serve there for uh, a great while. And, and what's interesting for uh, too is he um, became a Christian at that point. He was raised in the church, but really it wasn't part of his, uh, he hadn't really embraced Christ at that point, but it was mm-hmm. when he was a slave, uh, <clears throat> standing in the rain, watching the sheep that, that the Lord came to him and, uh, really he became a man of prayer. Um, what I think is interesting about him, you know, you know, we look back and we say, well, why do we still talk about Patrick? I don't think it's anything about Patrick necessarily. I think that he was, um, someone that God just chose to use. I, I, like, I think he, he seemed to have quite the, uh, he seemed to be a zealous person. He, he obviously loved the Lord. He was a man of prayer, but I, I think he just responded to the call that God gave him at the time and place, which I think, you know, that's all that any of us can do. Um, you know, a lot of times when, when we're teaching our kids Sunday school lessons, we'll say, you always hear the thing, dare to be a Daniel or, uh, mm-hmm. go after and, and, strike down giants like David. I don't, I don't think that that's helpful. And I think that's not really what we want to do with Patrick either. I think we want to see Patrick as an example of faithfulness and response to what the Lord has provided 
the calling that God has given you. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as more of his story, while he's um, a shepherd, he is praying, he's growing in his faith, and he receives a vision uh, that says, uh, you're going home and uh, pack your bags. And so he he did that and he set off. And I think he walked like 100 or 200 miles, like a long distance, found uh, Port Town, got on a boat with uh, folks who they think were uh, shipping Irish wolfhounds to uh, the mainland, which comes in. It's one of those things in my story I don't talk about in there. But if you look at the illustrations, at one point when uh, there's the homecoming image where he's seeing his mom and dad, and there's a boat and there's these Irish wolfhounds jumping out of the boat. Mm. And uh, I think tons of people are going to be like, why are there these giant dogs there? Yeah. Well, now, at least your listeners know that's why they're there. Because yeah. um, they, they, um, they were lost for a long time uh, after they, they got across the channel. And uh, were excited because they, they came across wild pigs and they ate wild pigs. And they said, you know, we kept the dogs. And, and people were like, well, why would they have kept the, not eaten the dogs? Well, it turns out that's why they think they think that that was the that was what the 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 ship ship guys were selling uh, to the mainland. So he gets home. He's reunited with his parents. Uh, everything's great, and uh, the Lord sends another vision. And in it, uh, there's a man comes from Ireland with these letters that that say, uh, "Come back, walk again among us." And um, he then. Uh, enters the ministry and is trained and and prepared and then goes back to Ireland and um, lands in the north first. Uh, there's Saul's church. It's to the there to this day. It's obviously not the same building, but uh, the high king's brother gave him a was converted, gave him a, a barn to be his first church, and he started his ministry and then walked, you know, went through out Ireland trying to uh, share the gospel. Yeah, so it's an amazing story uh, because as a slave, he uh, finally receives Christ and then uh, is freed, but then is called to go back to his uh, to his slave masters, essentially to the people who had um, who had held him captive. And so, in your book, you call him, or in the title, you call him Saint Patrick the Forgiver. Uh, explain how that theme of forgiveness plays such a prominent role in his story and especially in his uh calling answering the call of god to go back to the irish people yeah well that was the thing that really struck me when i actually i was talking to uh the folks at uh, ivp kids we were talking about doing this book talked about the the um the idea of doing a saint patrick book and and the different things and that was one of the things that came out in our conversation with my editor Almost immediately, we were talking, and I said, "You know, the the, the life of forgiveness, uh, the fact that you could be a slave and then go back and forgive and serve the, you know, there's one thing to say, well, I forgive you, but then you have nothing to do with that person ever again. But the, mm-hmm. this guy forgave and went back and served and served and served and uh, and that when we were talking, it was like, oh, of course, this is this is the perfect thing to to focus on." You know, rather than leprechauns, rather than um, just the Irishness of it, the fact that here's a story of forgiveness, that here's a man who really shouldn't have gone back. There was no reason for him to go back. 
Uh, even if he came to grips with, okay, well, I, I was a slave, but now I'm free and now I can live my life uh, safe, safely in England. Now he went back and he lived a life of forgiveness. And I think that that would have been a challenge. Even, I mean, you talk about folks with PTSD and stuff. I, I don't know how you go back there and it's not a continual struggle because, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't a Christian land. He went back to a, a land that was... Uh, uh, very pagan, and he had to, you know, person by person share the gospel. And um, now they think that he probably was originally ministering to uh, other Christian slaves, like like he had had the similar experience. So even so, though, if, if even if that's his, his his initial church body, he is going back and doing the hard work of um, of reaching out to folks who made his life miserable. For many years, yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, going back to these people that obviously you have a his, a, a relationship that <laughs> could be described as have one having baggage. Right. There, there, there's that element that makes this missionary endeavor uh, a little difficult. But also that he's going back to a people who, as you said before, were pretty rough. They were extremely pagan, and mm-hmm. from what I remember, they were not civilized very much at all. They were quite a, a barbarian people. And so that make that gives you a pretty difficult missionary challenge. Can you talk about his missionary strategy and the way, what he did and uh, to bring the gospel to the Celtic people this time, the way that he, um, the way that he preached against their pagan religion and uh, called them to Christ? Uh, well, some, I can speak some to that. I think as far as the, Culturally, yeah, th- he's coming from a Roman uh, background. Uh, now, granted, it's it's a, the Roman culture on the edge of, of the empire. So, uh, Britannia, which is now England, would have been the would have been the outer 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 ring of the of the empire. So, civilization, like folks in in Rome, would have still would have looked at he and his family in in, in England being kind of kind of the country hicks uh, but compared to the, <laughs> compared to the Irish that it was it was it was high civilization uh, next to uh, crazy folks now you know the, the Irish has has a has a culture and I uh, being a good Irishman I, I would bristle against saying that they were barbarians but uh, not too hard I, <laughs> I don't know if I'd fight too hard against that yeah. it, it was a you know that that was the outer edge of the world. Um, there was nothing beyond Ireland. This is this is as far as you can go. And they were a very warlike people. Uh, later on, the in, when the church takes root, um, one of the things that they really had to struggle with is culturally the Irish were very much for um, for fighting for for battles, uh, and they they wanted to. Uh, Okay, they convert to Christ, but they want to still be martyrs and have these like epic um, lives. So you see a lot of missionary work happening uh, and coming from the the Irish people because they wanted something. They want to do great things for God and make 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 these great sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And so you're coming into a a, a very warlike culture, uh, a very um, you know pagan culture. Uh, the the Philip Freeman talks about in his book on St. Patrick. Is it Philip Freeman? It might be in How the Irish Saved Civilization. Cal. I read a couple books on this, but 
the uh, High King t would would um, I think have sex with a horse as part of the the his his becoming king. Like it it was a very very to us at least <laughs> very bizarre, hostile, anti-Christian. Like I, I don't know how much farther you can go uh, away from Christianity, and he's he's jumping you know parachuting into that. Yeah. Um, as far as his methodology, like I said, he went to the North first and um, uh, converted uh, the the leadership there, you know, the, the, the king's brother, and was for, formed a base then, got his first church, Saul's church, and then moved through uh, ministering uh, bit by bit around the country. He would set up uh, monasteries and such, which, you know, I think is one of those things that uh, you know, us looking now and, you know, how, what do, what do we model from Patrick? And I think for me, I'm very much of uh, small, small is better. Um, I like the book, small church. I think that there's a lot to um, neighbor, neighborliness, the rootedness, the, the locality. Um, I think culturally we like to have the big churches, like how, how big can I might church be? But I think that he was going and, and, forming these small communities all through the country. And I think that that is how real change happened uh, and how real change does happen, you know, even today. Yeah. Yeah. His missionary strategy and perseverance in his evangelism is quite a story to read because he was dealing with uh, quite, uh, quite a culture. Yeah. There wasn't a uh, lot of common ground. A lot of times, you know, we only have a common, common, uh, uh, ideology or something, but this was, this was, oh uh, well, yeah, it was, it was hostile to Christianity. And, uh, but I, I, you know, as far, as far as folks today, you know, you look and a lot of folks will say that, you know, we're in a post post-Christian culture and stuff. So I think that there, we can be encouraged and energized by Patrick's story to say, well, it could be worse. <laughs> yeah. It could be a lot worse. And, and God's going to do, God's going to do his work, uh, regardless of the impediments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So whenever you reflect on the story of St. Patrick as a whole, and we've already pulled a couple of applications from it, what do you think are some of the lessons that we can learn from the story of the real St. Patrick that very much applies to our lives today? Uh, well, one of the things, and I don't know if I, I think I said this already, but just the humility of Patrick, the, uh, the humbleness um, I think that a lot of times we feel that we can't do anything because we don't have a big platform or we don't have a big name or we're not um, gifted in certain ways. But I, I don't think there was anything special about Patrick. Uh, I think that he grew up into who God wanted him to be. And I think that that, that would be what I'd want people to take away from this um, besides his, his, uh, his bold, um, willingness to to put himself out there and and really proclaim the gospel clearly i think it was the fact that he was just a guy like as far as i can tell there wasn't anything special about him and um and i think that that certainly in our celebrity age we need to remember that that's who god uses he doesn't really use um you know uh great people <laughs> he makes them great you know we are we are his vessels yeah yeah. And so what are the best ways that we can celebrate St. Patrick today? Ways that are better than the St. Patrick's, the so-called St. Patrick celebrations that we see today that just revolve around 
No, like green beer. Before, That's green all we can beer. do. Green yeah, beer green like and green. shamrocks. And let's put some uh, some leprechauns all over our uh, windows and such. Yeah. For what I've seen, um, you know, so I'm, I'm in South Louisiana. <laughs> and so Mardi Gras is huge down here. Oh, right. And Mardi, Mardi Gras is just absolutely it's, it's wild. And from what I've seen, uh, St. Patrick's Day is basically Mardi Gras for the Northeast. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to be. I think you can make a case for that. Yeah, uh, it's just green Mardi Gras instead of purple yeah, gold yeah. Mardi Gras. So yeah, well, so better than what's funny what our current is, celebrations are. Yeah, the, uh, one of the things at the store I saw the other day when I was taking pictures of stuff that I thought was like this is horrible. This is so un St. Patrick. Is they had the Mardi Gras. Uh, necklaces but they were just green you know it's yeah. like well okay we, we can't do a lot of colors but we'll do the green yeah. um yeah i think that i had f- friends from church who they would have a saint patrick's day party every year and uh serve uh like corned beef hash or something you know, like mm-hmm. an irish meal but they 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 got together to celebrate saint patrick and that was their their way they're like okay we're not going to do green beer we're not going to we're going to f- actually focus on this guy um uh, in my family, we would like uh, my grandmother would make Irish soda bread. We make Irish soda bread, and we uh, we also would make uh, Irish potatoes, which are little candies. It's uh, coconut cream and wrapped in cinnamon, and it, it, they're very delicious. So we would do things that would be non <laughs> non uh, debaucherous, I guess, and. Um, but then just focus on on who who Patrick was, and I think that that's if we can do that, it's kind of we can reclaim the holiday for uh, actually St. Patrick and focus on uh, his work and and re- just you know I think so much of what we do and uh, or should do is just telling the right stories. Let's just correct the stories because we're surrounded by people that tell us different stories that, that they aren't, they aren't the stories of our, of, of the history of Christianity, the spread of the spread of the gospel. We are part of this great story that Christ has, began and this, this new, this new reality. And I think that we need to keep telling ourselves these stories over and over and say, yeah, actually there was this guy, St. Patrick, and this is, this is the context in which he worked. And this is the change that God did in his lifetime. And the, the ramifications are still being felt today. And uh, I think if we do that is, is what we, oh, we need to do that because that's, what's going to be helpful. That's going to be the way that we uh, reorient ourselves and, and rethink, uh, rethink our thoughts. You know, we, we need to be, have new minds, you know, scripture talks about that, but I think that there, I think culturally, um, and it's like, who am I as a person? I'm part of this, even if I'm, I'm not Irish, if I'm part of the church, I'm part of this work that Patrick was part of, and he is, he's part of me and I'm part of him and getting that identity, you know, like, like I said, growing up, it was very important to me and my family that we were Irish, that that was a story we told. So therefore on St. Patrick's day, I would wear green on orange Day, day, I would wear orange. And this was part of who I was. And it didn't really matter that other people weren't doing that because I knew that that was who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Cause I think that stories are powerful and, mm-hmm. Uh, because they they inspire, and we start to uh, 
understand the world that we are living in and the story that we're living in through the stories that we take in. You know, we, we start to utilize the, the story arcs that we're taking in from books, movies, history, and so on to make sense of what we are going through now and to interpret what we're living through now. And, you know, I think we can, and because God makes us active agents who are uh, participating in the story arc of our mm -hmm. lives, mm -hmm. we can take the story arcs of other lives and of the inspiring stories that we see and hear and try to start applying them to what we're living in. And so, you know, my hope is just that through telling the real story of St. Patrick, that it would inspire St. Patrick's today. Uh, right, people who right. are who are being um, self-sacrificing missionaries in their neighborhoods or workplaces uh, who are doing whatever they can, even if they aren't themselves extraordinary people, just being the normal person they are and allowing God to use them and uh, creating small communities of people who are following God and trying right. to live out his will in their lives, just like Patrick did with the ancient Celts. Um, you know, I think that that's the real power and hope here by knowing the true story and celebrating it well, that we would then try to start applying his story arc to ours. Preach it, brother. Sounds great. <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm all for yeah. it. Well, and that's why you wrote the book. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Any final takeaways that you want, you know, you hope someone who listened to this episode or who gets the book, reads it with, for themselves or with their kids, what do you hope they take away from your book and from this conversation? Uh, from this conversation, maybe that Ned Busterly talks too much. He should just be quiet and draw pictures. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That, from, from this, uh, what I do hope that uh, uh, my secret desire for the book is, number one, well, obviously people will buy it and they'll read it. But uh, like I said, with this, the St. Nicholas, with St. Patrick, I put a lot of extra things into the illustrations that aren't referenced in the story. So I, I would hope that people would be so intrigued by Patrick that they would do the extra work of, well, like, you know, the, here's this picture of Patrick and he's got this bell and he's ringing this bell. What, what is that? You know, can I, I need to look into that, investigate and spoiler alert. There actually is still a bell, St. Patrick's bell. It's in a, a museum in Ireland. It's, it's a real thing. Yeah. But then there's also like, uh, I have, I have the high cross of, of Patrick from uh, illustrated in there that he's raising this, this, uh, this cross. And there's different things like that throughout the book that uh, I would hope that people would say, Oh, this is worth spending some time to, to really do a deep dive and um, investigate more so that they would, they would learn that this guy was real, that this is a real thing. This is a, this is a rooted story. And it can be their story. Yeah. So uh, before we close real quick, let's, let's say someone reads the book and then they're inspired to learn more about the story of Patrick. What would be maybe the first resource that you appoint them to to explore the story more? Well, for adults, there's a, a Philip Freeman has a book, uh, St. Patrick, a biography, I believe is the title. And uh, I actually read through that and was very inspired when I was doing my research. So that's a that's some, it's not for kids, it's for adults, mm -hmm. but I would recommend that. Uh, that would be a, the first, first thing I would do. And after that, I would just start Googling Patrick. Because, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you're going to come across a lot of leprechauns and green beer, but 
Um, there is stuff out there. Uh, but yeah, I, I recommend Freeman's book. Uh, the How the Irish Save a Civilization is a good book. Uh, again, this is for, more for adults. And it's, it's I, you know, my wife and I are history nerds. So this is stuff that we like. If you, if you don't like history, it might be a hard pill to swallow. Maybe you just read my book again, mm. and that might be enough for you. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll have those resources linked in the show notes for anyone who's interested in looking into those as well. Get a copy of St. Patrick the Forgiver as well as one of those other books. Uh, I have the Cahill book, and uh, he's excellent. Um, so, yeah, get one of those other ones. Um, there's also... Uh, a, an excellent book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism by, mm. oh, it's somewhere behind me on my bookshelves. It's either I Michael see, Green. If you, if you stay, if stand away from the microphone. I think I can see it right behind you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and you mentioned that. I actually have a book called The Celtic Vision, which is a, just a collection of prayers from the Outer Hebrides, which is fantastic. Uh, just the, the way that... that uh, the, the Celts approached prayer is just different than we do. Uh, obviously praying to God, but it, it, mm-hmm. it just, the, their, it's very much organic, very part of, of their, their everyday life. Mm-hmm. And I'd highly recommend that book as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'll include those, re- those resources in the show notes as well. So y'all can get uh, look into that for any of you guys who are uh, like me and Ned and your history nerds, then you can <laughs> look into those as well. Cause, uh, you know, history is, is not just um, old data, but it is powerful stories that can shape today. Yeah. And so I'd encourage you guys to look into that. Uh, so, yeah, Ned, once again, just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thank you also for the books that you've been working on um, with uh, great care and the storytelling and the artwork. Uh, like I said, it's benefited my family. And so I want to thank you for that personally. And uh, I'm so yeah, glad. thanks for the work you're doing and appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for it all. It's been great. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the anchor.